on your word. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount and looking at um, just what it means for us to live our lives as people of faith in Christ and how the coming of the kingdom of God in Jesus' birth and in his ministry um, that showed us what the kingdom looks like and God, the hope that we have in his resurrection from the grave and his sacrifice on our behalf, the way that changes our lives, we just pray that um, tonight as we consider what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, that our hearts would be open to seeing uh, what you would teach us, that um, we would be open to learning new things, but also just um, surrendering our hearts to you in deeper ways. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. It sounds like we got some sick people here tonight. <laughs> Bless you. I want to tell you about one of, uh, one of the best times in my life. It was the spring of 2008, and my girlfriend Brittany got a call from her sister saying that she needed to come home in two weeks on a Friday night to meet her new boyfriend. Um, and so Brittany invited me to go with her, and I was excited about that. Um, but here's the kicker. There was no new boyfriend. Her sister and I were in cahoots, and I needed an excuse to get Brittany down to this lake by where she lives so I could propose to her. And uh, so I told Brittany, oh yeah, I'm going to go with you. And we, we were really looking forward to that. But the day before we were supposed to go down to Pittsburgh, I told her, oh my gosh, my boss at the running store called me and I have to work. There's no way I can get out of this because I've covered for my boss before. I'm so sorry. Can I take you out to lunch? I took her to our favorite restaurant. We had a lunch, said our uh, goodbyes. And so Brittany was, you know, she was thinking, I'm going down to see my family and Josiah's going to work. Um, but I hopped in my car and drove to where her parents lived and went to this lake where it was the first place I knew that I wanted to marry her. I was like, man, it was a special place for the two of us. And so about three hours later, Brittany gets in the car with her brother, who was also a student at our college. He was one of my fraternity brothers, brothers of Beta Sigma. Um, <laughs> and so they got in the car. I can't show you our secret handshake. But uh, they got in the car. And about 15 minutes from the lake, he pulled out this photo album that I made for Brittany, who was driving. He said, you need to pull over. I got something for you. And she pulled over. She's like, what's going on? Hands her this photo album. It's got these pictures. And it says, here's our first date. And uh, here's the first place that I felt like you were a person I could share anything with. And then the last one was a picture of this dock at the lake. And it said, this is the first place I knew I wanted to be with you forever. See you in a few. And uh, so... They drive to the lake, and she gets out of the car, and I'm down there by this dock, and uh, I proposed, and she said yes, and I was just like, I was so happy. It was one of the best moments of my life. Um, there's more to the story, but uh, that was just, it was incredible. The college we went to, this is something I'm really proud of. The college we went to has a tradition where they throw you in a creek after you get engaged. And it's not that deep, so it's kind of dangerous. I don't know why. <laughs> but, uh, so my fraternity brothers came to grab me, and most people don't put up a fight. But it took them a half an hour to carry me a quarter mile. <laughs> I was sore for like three days. I'm so proud of that. Uh, that was one of the most exciting times of my life. And it was directly followed by one of the worst times of my life. Because the realization I had was this. Here's this woman who I love, who I want to provide for deeply, but neither of us know what we're going to be doing next. We sure were done, glad to be done with school, but we didn't know where we were going when we were going to graduate. We weren't even sure what we wanted to do vocationally. Um, we weren't sure how God would provide for us, though we were very sure that we were meant to be together. Man, that was a scary feeling. We had enough student loans to keep us very busy. And if I'm being totally honest, I would say the amount of student loans we had that first year were about double of what my first year's salary was. Um, 
But that was, uh, that was after I had a job. Waiting for that was really scary. And so it's, it's kind of strange how some of the most exciting times in my life were also followed by some of the worst <laughs> worry that I ever experienced. I remember um, I was just kind of a bear to live with. But between the time we graduated and when we got married, there was about a six-month span where both of us lived at home. And uh, I remember one day my dad saying to me, who's really close, I'm really close with my dad and I admire him a lot. He's a minister and he said to me, Josiah, like, I can see you are just, you are drowning in worry. Like, you are struggling. Like, you have got to give this to God. You are trying to control the situation yourself. I can see the burden you're putting on yourself. This isn't yours to carry. You've got to trust him. Here's a scripture verse that I want you to reflect on. And that's a scripture verse that we're actually going to study tonight. Um, the verse meant so much to me in that moment and what I was going through. And that's a ver- this is a verse that I've returned to so many times since then. As I've continued to walk in faith and walk through challenges and seeing uh, in the midst of those things that God is faithful, that God is our provider. And so that's what I want to talk with you guys about tonight. We all have those worries over our material needs. We all have concerns what the future might hold for us. And as we've been studying this series, the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. And the way that we look at our lives can't be the same as we would if we're seeing our circumstances solely through a frame that reflects the ways of this world. Things are different for us because Jesus Christ has come. He's revealed himself to us. He's drawn us into a relationship with God. And so that's what we're going to study tonight. Um, We are going to be here in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where we've been the past two weeks. And in this passage... It's a section of the message where Jesus is really trying to address to his listeners um, the question of where they're storing up treasures for themselves. Where they're storing up treasures in their hearts. What do they value most? Are they valuing things of this world or things of eternal value? And so he tells them, your heart can only have one master. He says, uh, will it be God or money? Who are you going to serve? God or money? And so many of us, we've made the choice to follow God as our master. We've made that choice. But that doesn't mean that the struggle's over for us. And, you know, every time we have a worry, we just say, oh, God's my master, not money. Uh, who cares if I have a job next year? Who cares if I have tons of student loans and no idea how I'm going to pay them? Or um, what I even want to do in the future? Who cares? God's my master. Uh, man, wouldn't it be nice if life was that simple and faith was that easy? Um, When the path is uncertain before us and we don't have the full knowledge and full wisdom of God, sometimes it can be really hard for us to remember his promises that he really is our provider, that he really is good and he does have our best in mind. But this passage that we're going to study tonight, man, I think it really nails this truth in a profound way. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Let me read it for us. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? 
Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so, in this passage that we're reflecting on here, it's, it's easy for me to think, man, Bible times would have been a lot easier to be a person of faith and have less things to worry about. You didn't have a mortgage over the tent that your great-grandfather built out of goat skins. Um, you didn't have to worry about paying off your student loans because the only people who were educated were those who were studying to be priests in the temples. I mean, life was so much more simple. You didn't have to worry about what data plan you were going to have or if your mom got mad at you because you used too many of your gigabytes. Um, guys, it was a simple time. But evidently, it was a complex enough time that the concerns over the material were pressing on the listeners of Jesus here in this passage. In this passage, he challenges his followers to look at their lives in a new way in light of the reality brought to them in his coming to earth. And so he challenges them here in this passage. Look at how he challenges them to reframe their concerns over the material. Verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not soar or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they. And so, what he's highlighting there is that people of faith in Jesus Christ need to recognize that they're not alone in this life. We're not left all to ourselves as followers of God. We have a Heavenly Father who sees us. He's involved in our lives. He values us deeply and He'll provide for our needs. So, look at the illustrations that Jesus shares in this passage. We see the birds. We see flowers. We see grass. These objects that God has created, but we as human beings are unique in our creation as beings made in God's own image. We have a special place with Him. He loves us in a special way. He values us deeply, and He'll provide for our needs. If He provides for these creatures who aren't created in His own image, how much more will He provide for us? And so, we can trust Him, knowing that God loves us, and as beings made in his own image. He'll surely provide for all of our needs. And so Jesus gives us a hypothetical question to consider there. And the question is, is, is worrying really worth what it costs us? Verse 27, any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life. And so the cost-benefit analysis here is that worship gives us a really poor return for what we invest um, worrying is never going to bring about a good result. Worrying only takes from us. It never gives to us. And so figuratively, worry never produces the resolution we desire. And then literally, worry is not going to add moments to our lives. Literally, worry can kill us. It can kill us. The stress that we put on ourselves physically by worrying can shorten our lives. Um, I'm sure some scientists out there could confirm that. Raise your hands. Yes, I see them all out there. Yeah, thank you, scientists. Um, it's, a fact. it's a fact of science, guys. Worrying does not add hours to your life. But Jesus knows that this truth isn't easy for people to accept and apply in their hearts. So what we need to do is identify the cause of our worry. And Jesus keeps going with that here in verses 28 through 30. And why do you worry about clothes, he says. See how the flowers of the field grow? 
They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And so think about that. These creatures of finite nature, God doesn't just take care of them. Um, He doesn't make every flower gray. He makes them beautiful in their own unique and special way that we can see them and be in awe of what he's done. If God takes care of these finite creatures, grass and flowers, and causes them to flourish, how much more will he take care of us as beings created for eternity? We're created for eternity. And so what's really interesting, too, in that section of verses 28 through 30 is that God takes care of them completely apart from their own doing. There's nothing that they do to make God clothe them in such beauty, to make the grass grow, to make the flowers so visually beautiful. It's solely out of God's grace, out of his desire to cause them to flourish that this happens. And so, as we begin to take a step back from our circumstances and reflect on God's provision solely because of his love, solely because of his sovereignty over his creation, we can begin to gain some perspective on our own worries and on our own circumstances because we see that God is involved. We see that God is good. We see that God has our best in mind and we see that he loves us. And so our view of life, our view of our circumstances begins to change. It's really hard for us to believe that our worries are invalid when we're in the midst of them. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in a place where I'm worried, I'm 100% convinced that I need to be worried. It only makes sense. Like, there are things that need to happen. I've got to control this. If my future is going to end up, as I envision it, according to the best of my ability to know where I feel like God is leading me, this is what's got to happen. This is where I need to be. And when I don't see those things happening, I freak out. I want to make it happen. I want to pound that hammer into the wall and drive that nail in until it gets to where it needs to be. I could drive myself crazy worrying about my circumstances and be 100% convinced that that's the wise thing to do. But what Jesus does here is he kind of calls a spade a spade when it comes to our worries. He calls a spade a spade there at the verse end of verse 30, and it's kind of a phrase that's hard for us to take. You see it there. He says, you have little faith. Doesn't that seem like kind of a cruel phrase when we read it? You have little faith. It's like, Jesus, like, this is really hard stuff. Can you not take it easy on me here? Can't you see that I'm struggling to do the best I can and make these things happen? But he says, you have little faith because when we act like we're in control, when we act like our lives are dependent on us to provide for them, when we are the ones who are sovereign over our own existence, we're doubting that God is really over our lives. We're doubting that he really cares for us. We're doubting that he really is our provider. Jesus says, you have little faith. And so he's not being cruel here. What he's doing is he's reminding us to shift our paradigm to remember the truth. Reality is that we are not alone. It is not up to us to be our own provider. God is over our lives. He is intimately involved in our lives. He sees us. He's directing us. There's not a moment that we're apart from him. And God is good. God is good. He is our provider. And so, while it's really hard for us to be told, you have little faith. These words wake us up to seeing the truth about our lives, to seeing the reality that because of the coming of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, the way that we view our circumstances is changed. We can be a people of hope because we know that God is in control. 
And so he says in verses 31 through 32, what, he's, what he says is people who don't believe in him, they can think like that. That makes sense. If you don't have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ, your life is about you seeing what you can do to make a life for yourself because you put yourself at the center of the world. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you trust him as not just your savior, but as your Lord, you put your life before him. He's a, he is a wise shepherd. He is a good shepherd. Wisdom is to put your life in God's hands and recognize I am not the one to be in control. I don't have full knowledge of what's best for me. I need you to be in control, God. And so I surrender to you as my ultimate provider. And so we surrender to God and we recognize this truth, that Jesus has come and that we're brought into the family of God when we look to him in faith. And so how can we live our lives in such a way that we won't be handicapped by worry. How can we live in such a way that our posture as we go through our circumstances is reflective of the truth? I want to tell you a, a, a little story. One of my favorite stations on Pandora, um, if it's the summer and I'm at home grilling, I guarantee you that the station I'm going to have up on Pandora is laid back beach music. I love this station. It's like the most beautiful combo of reggae music and Motown that you've ever heard. I know that's a really strange combination, but it totally works. Um, so you hear like a lot of Bob Marley. And does anybody know the song, Three Little Birds? Oh man, this song is so chill. And he's like, don't worry about a thing. It's gonna be all right. I love that song. Oh my gosh, like it's so nice uh, to sick that to listen to that song as I'm grilling out on the porch, drinking a juice box for uh, adult beverage that adults typically enjoy responsibly. And uh, man, I love it. But here's the problem: when I'm actually worried, that song does nothing for me. I'm like, this is so stupid. How can I just say, don't worry about a thing, every little thing's going to be all right, when I don't know why, and you're not giving me any answers, Bob Marley, and things didn't end up all right for you. <laughs> just saying, Bob. Um, see, our problem is, one of the worst ways to counteract worry in our lives, and in the lives of people we care about, is to tell them, stop worrying. Um, that does absolutely nothing for us. We can't just tell ourselves to stop worrying and then um, our hearts are changed. That's just not the way it works. Nothing is less effective to get us to stop worrying than to just say, ah, stop worrying, Josiah. Let's just get through this. Um, we, need a tr we need a remedy for worry that is actually backed up in something substantial. And Jesus gives that to us here in verse 33. He tells us the real remedy for worry in verse 33. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. And so what he's saying is the cure for worry isn't to just distract ourselves. It's not to wait until our circumstances change. That's often what I think the remedy for worry is. I'm worried, God, so change my circumstances, and then I'll be okay. But that's not what Jesus tells us the cure for worry is here. He says the cure for worry is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to us as well. And so what he's telling us is we can't just tell ourselves to stop worrying. Just stop it. That's not going to work. He tells us what we need to do is redirect our focus to something that is true. To something that is, something that is lasting. To something that is eternal the kingdom of God. And so he tells us to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. What is God's kingdom about? 
It's about desiring God's lordship over our lives. Do you want God's name to be made great in your life? Or are you pursuing God's values in the way that you're living? Are you pursuing God's values in the way that you're treating others? Do you desire God's lordship over your life? Do you want him to be on the throne? Are you seeking to make your own name great? Or do you want to make great the name of God and his work in your life? Seek God's kingdom. And then seeking God's righteousness. In your heart, are you submitting to God's will? Are you fighting him? Are you saying, God, change your will and give me what I want because I know what's best? Are you seeking God's righteousness? Do you want his will to be done in your life? Do you trust God to lead you? Or are you just asking God to be the rabbit's foot that you just bring out whenever you need a little bit of luck for things to go your way? Are you trusting God to lead you? And do you want to live a life of service to him? Are you living to serve him? Are you living to love others? And so that's our cure for worry, to redirect your energy to seeking after him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. And so Jesus, what he's telling them here is to go all in on their faith, to seek him first, seek God first, and God will take care of the rest. And so two things I want to highlight here for you there. The first that we see going on in this passage there in the second part of verse 33 is when we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, our perspective on the material changes. When we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first, the way that we view our money, our needs is going to change because our hearts can't help but be impacted when we come face to face with the reality of who God is and our relationship to him and our future in his hands. Our perspective is going to change. But even more than that, we also see in this passage that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you really can rely on God to take care of your material needs. We can trust that God, our Father, will provide for all that we need. We can trust Him, so we don't need to waste energy doubting that. And we're all going to have moments where we're well aware of our needs, where we're going to be wondering if God just didn't get the memo on the things that we feel that we need, that He's just not going to show up. We, we all have fears about that. But verse 34 tells us what we can do in those moments. Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, if you're a freshman, you may not know this. I try not to mention it all the time, because uh, I love talking about myself, and so uh, I don't want to tell you the same stories about myself all the time. Um, I used to coach runners. And so something that kind of stinks is a lot of my friends know I used to coach runners, and they're like, oh, I want to do this half marathon. Will you coach me? And if I want to keep having friends, then I have to say yes. Um, but here's what's tricky. I write them these training plans for these goals they have, but they never want to do them because they always want to wait to train until like, oh man, when I'm really excited, or I know that race is coming, then I'm really going to focus and train. But here's something that we all know. Any great performer, whether you're a musician, whether you're an athlete, whether you're someone who's into public speaking or even performing in academics, you all have some pressure to perform on you academically, I know that. You're all a performer in some way. If you have big goals, big things that you're trying to accomplish, the solution is not wait until you're like, oh shoot, I should have started working on that weeks ago because now it's upon me. The way that you accomplish something big is by starting today. You do what you can today to make progress. And after you line up 50 todays, you get to a good place in a month and a half. You have to start today if you want to accomplish something great. And so in our lives of faith, what Jesus is telling us is if you're waiting until your circumstances change to trust him, that's not the answer. 
Because there's always going to be something new to worry about tomorrow. If you want to follow Jesus Christ in faith, it's not about waiting for your circumstances to change. It's not about waiting for all your ducks to get in a row. Because let me tell you, those same pressures that were on my heart when I was getting ready to be married were on my heart two years after I was married, and two years after that, and they're still on my heart now, seven years later. But what I've learned is to trust God today. That's the challenge that Jesus gives his followers here today. Don't wait. If you want to break free of worry in your life, which is a really big goal, the solution is to trust him today. Will you follow Christ in faith today? And so there are times where I can find myself thinking, like, God, I'm doing the best I can, but look at what's ahead of me tomorrow. Look at what's ahead of me in five years. Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Those questions can overwhelm us. And Jesus says, you know what? Think about how I've wired you. Think about how I'm calling you. But trust me today. Follow me today. What have I called you to do here in this place? Are you being faithful in following me? And are you trusting me to be your provider? Are you trusting me that I really have your best in mind? That I know you, that I love you, that I am over your life? And so that's the challenge for us. In the midst of the uncertainty that's before us in life, sure, it's okay to ask God to change our circumstances when we're going through difficult things. But ask Him to give you the faith to trust Him today, to know His grace and to know His goodness in the midst of them. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Listen to this promise. This is a promise for you in Jesus Christ. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions, they never fail. They're new every morning. God's compassions are new every morning. So when you're sitting in your dorm later tonight or in your apartment and you're worried as you're thinking about that, just pray that God would give you enough for tonight. Pray that he give you enough. And when you wake up in the morning, say, God, give me the grace for today. God's grace is going to be new for you every morning. What a beautiful truth that is. And so we all, we have a choice to make. Will we approach worry in our lives like it's an issue of our circumstances? Or will we approach worry in our lives like it's an issue of our hearts? Will we say, God, when my circumstances have changed, then I'll stop worrying? Or will we trust God's word to be true? Will we rely on his provision? Will we find our peace in Christ. And so I want to ask you, where is it in your life that you need to trust God, that you need to say to him, God, you're in control. Help me to believe that you have my best in mind. Help me to look to see where you know me better than myself. Help me to see how you've wired me, but help me to know that you are wise, that you are good, that you're going to direct my paths, that you're going to use me to serve, you're going to use me to love, and I may have no idea what that looks like right now, but help, your, help me to know that your grace is going to be sufficient for me as I journey. Where in your life do you need to trust God? And so, if you're struggling with worry, as I'll probably find myself tomorrow, um, and many of you will as well, I want you to know there's no need to be ashamed. We all struggle with this. We all wrestle with worries. The question is, what are you going to do with those struggles? What are you going to do with your worries? The challenge is don't put them on your own shoulders. Cast all your cares on God, for he cares for you. It's 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on God, for he cares for you. And so like I was saying, this is a process. Faith is a journey through life as we believe the promises of God and lean on Christ to be sufficient for us. As we go through times of uncertainty, as we serve, and as we trust him to give us the next step in his timing. 
He is God. He's our provider. And he'll be faithful. But man, faith is different from seeing. And sometimes we don't see. But that doesn't mean that God isn't directing our paths. And so hold on in faith. Trust him today. He'll be there tomorrow. And so, like I said, this is, this is probably something that I'll struggle with tomorrow. You know what? I shared that story about Brittany and I earlier. And this is something that we have to remind ourselves of often. Because his life before us uh, has circumstances that we didn't expect. Or challenges that, uh, man, we sure wish uh, were flats instead of mountains. Um, we have to trust God in faith. But I'll tell you, the thing that keeps us going is knowing that God's provision in our lives has gone so far that he's provided for us in the ultimate way, in Jesus Christ, in his coming to earth, in his perfect life, in his resurrection from the grave, the hope that we have in Christ. We know that God's provided a way for us to have a relationship with him through Jesus. We know that our hope is in him no matter what we go through. And so, man, sometimes it's a lot easier for us to trust God in our death and say, God, I trust you that I'm going to heaven. It can be easier to trust God with our death than it is to trust God with our life. And so that's my challenge for you tonight. You can trust God with your death, but will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him today? Uh, Band, you guys can come forward, and I'm going to close us in prayer. God, we thank you for Christ's words here. His words that instruct us on the reality that is ours because the kingdom of God has come in the incarnation of Jesus. We thank you that he did so much more than just teach us about the realities of the kingdom, but he gave us a perfect illustration of um, who you are and the way that he lived. But God, he also accomplished our salvation through his death on the cross that those of us who trust him in faith might be given new life, um, might be given eternal life, might be given life to the full and God. So we don't walk through our present circumstances as people without hope. Our hope isn't in a change of our circumstances, but in that uh, you might meet us in the midst of our circumstances and that you might impact our hearts with the truth that God is with us, that God cares for us, that God is powerful, that God is able, that God loves us, and he has our best in mind. And so I pray that you would open our eyes, give us eyes of faith to trust in your promises. Um, mold our hearts to be able to accept the truth. God, that we can open up our hands and let go of control because we know that you're our good father and you are in control. And so, Father, I pray that you would shift our perspective, that we would be people who desire to serve that we would be people who want to make your name great more than anything else, that your glory would be the chief aim of our lives. And so I pray uh, right now that as we just take a minute of silence, um, that, you would, that you would meet us, God, that we would be able to come to you in prayer and confess the things we need to confess, trust to you the things that we need to trust to you, and um, just receive from you whatever we need to be people of faith in Jesus Christ in the places that you've called us right now.
And so, God, as we sing together now, help us to really believe the words that Christ is enough for us to be true. Help us to remember that tonight. Help us to remember it tomorrow. And give us grace new every morning to trust you that day. Pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.